Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada, streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Float, Odyssey, Telegram, Twitch, TikTok, and the Prepper Broadcast Network. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is November 20th, 2022, and this is episode 207 of the Workshop Podcast. Wow, guys, I just finished up an incredible conversation with Lee, the Cold War prepper. We're going to get into it with him in just a minute, but real quick, we'll get the announcements out of the way. Number one, if you're new to the community, if you just came in listening through this episode or whatever, and you want to become a bigger part of the workshop community, the best way is to join the Telegram group. And if you're not on Telegram and you say, Tim, I don't need another social platform, I'm telling you, Telegram is the way to go. It is the place where we ask questions, we answer questions, and we learn and share with everyone. It's a great small community where it's not too large that you can't keep up with the chat. So grab that Telegram link in the description below and come by and join us there for the conversation. Number two, the Patch of the Month Club. If you want to support the workshop and what I do, if you think that I provide you value and you want to do a value for value exchange and you like really cool Velcro patches, the embroidered style, two inch by three inch, and you want to get one every month in the mail, subscribe to the Patch of the Month Club. Go by patchofthemonth.co. Sign up, 10 bucks a month, $100 a year. You get a cool, politically incorrect, rather humorous patch every single month. And finally, Lee, his conversation was great. Make sure you go by, grab his channel link and subscribe to the cold war prepper on youtube he's got some cool videos he is a man of a thousand interests and uh, knowledge bases he's just incredible finally today's tool is the reliance generator through the wall kit 128 bucks on amazon if you want a simple non-invasive way to bring power in from the outside without leaving a window open or a door open in the middle of winter this is the way to go check that out got the amazon link in the description below so with that guys i gotta say i don't want to spoil it but this conversation i had with lee was so much stinking fun we talked about books we talked about tv we talked about the cold war we talked about civil defense talked about his time overseas we, there's, there's no end. This conversation could have went for hours and I'm going to bring him back because what an enthralling and an intriguing individual Lee was. You guys, if you enjoy this conversation half as much as I have, as I did, wow, it was awesome. So without further ado, guys, let's slide in to my conversation with Lee, otherwise known as the Cold War Prepper. Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. We've got an interview show for you. So, Tim here. Hey, whoops. And look at that. Just as we started, <laughs> once in a while that happens. There we go. Sorry, guys. I don't know if you could pick it up, but I had reverb coming because I left the other chat window open in the background. So, we've got Lee, otherwise known as the Cold War Prepper. How are you, sir? Fantastic. We're on Baby Watch. Baby Watch? Daughter is scheduled to have her third uh, baby here. We thought it was going to happen yesterday, but, you know, so we've got all of our bags packed so we can get over to her house and babysit her other two while she and her husband go to the hospital. Oh, that's so how many grandkids do you have in total? This will be number three. Oh, I, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't wish life away, but we, you know, our, our youngest are 12, our oldest are mid twenties. So grandkids could come along anytime. So that, that's exciting. That right on. Oh, it's a blessing. 
It's a blessing. So if you, when they if you start have acting like they did when, when you had your own, yeah. you can get up and leave. <laughs> or send them home, right? Fill them full of chocolate and send them home. Yeah. <laughs> How much sugar do you want? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the reasons I reached out to you, well, lots, but I mean, apartment prepper kind of uh, set me on to you uh, originally. But I've really tried really, really hard to reach out to other prepping communities or other, you know, ones that, so a lot of where I came from would be, do, do you know the survival podcast at all? No, not really. No. So that's great, which I love because I, I, there's all these disparate prepping groups out there, you know, every, everyone, this one, this one, this one. And my mission is to at least make introductions across them all. So <laughs> that's part of the reason I wanted to bring you on Lee. Cause I, and I love picking people's brains and hearing your stories, you know? So let me put this down. Survival podcast. Sure. Yeah. His name's Jack Spirico. He's, he's been doing, he's the OG of prepping podcast. He has been doing his podcast since 2008 and wow. he's got an audience of about a quarter million people every, every episode. So unbelievable. And he has, I always talk about his family tree, but there are so many creators that have kind of sprung out from him. And oh. of course, yeah, that's where I trace my lineage back to. So who is Lee? Introduce yourself, Lee, so that everybody else can find out who you are. Uh, okay. Well, I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. I began my prepping journey during the uh, Cold War, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. My next door neighbor was the uh, civil defense warden for our block. Oh. And he built a cinder block fallout shelter in his backyard. <laughs> so here I was, a young, impressionable middle schooler, and just loved helping him and, and reading the stuff that he gave me. And so he gave me all kinds of literature and everything else. And I got into prepping and, and for nuclear survival, basically, back in 1962-63. Been doing it ever since. Of course, uh, I'm originally from El Paso. We were about five miles off the end of the runway for Biggs Air Force Base, which at that time had B-36s which were the six propellers and four uh, jet engines, you know, the reverse, the, the, the propellers were on the back of the bombers, if you remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then, then it was converted over to a B-52 squadron. And so we had those, you know, bombers taking off with nuclear bombs over our house about every three oh. minutes for drills and stuff. And so it was kind of impressive. Um, then uh, I, was, I was in Catholic schools, Blessed Sacrament, Jesuit High School, uh, then Jesuit High School went bankrupt, and I went to public school, graduated from Burgess High School in El Paso, Texas. We just had our 50th high school reunion two years ago, yes. and it was canceled because of the lockdowns. Of course it was, yes. Uh, so we, I'm, I'm looking forward to a make-up 50th reunion. Nice. But uh, haven't been back to El Paso except for the 25th reunion since then. Um, then I was sitting, I, I was at SMU, Southern Methodist University. I was majoring in, believe it or not, oceanography. <laughs> and uh, so here we are in the middle of Dallas, but uh, majoring in oceanography. And but my love was back in El Paso. So I convinced mom and dad that it would be better to give up my scholarship at SMU and pay one hundred and twenty three dollars and fifty cents for a full 15 hour curriculum at UTEP. Yes. What sir. I didn't realize was the draft was going away. There was this new thing called the lottery and you were allowed to keep your student deferment as long as you stayed in the same uh, institution of higher education. So because I transferred from SMU to UTEP, I became 1A. I got that letter in the mail, 
took that letter down to my recruiting office. I said, is this what I think it is? And they said, have you opened it? And I said, no. And they said, yeah, it is what you think it is. I said, well, what are my options? They said, well, you haven't opened it yet, so you have all kinds of options. So we're going to give you some testing, and uh, then after testing, come back and we'll give you some options. I said, okay. So I did a whole day's worth of testing, came back the next day. The first thing I did was they sent me down this room, and went, in those days, they had these old eight-millimeter projectors. Oh, That's yes. That's we had for, for audiovisual. <laughs> and they showed me the silent film of this guy, uh, you know, projecting up against the wall. They showed me a silent film of a guy in a silver suit with a silver hat. He walked up to a 55-gallon oil drum. He bent over the oil drum. It went kaboom. And he went up in the air about 15 feet backwards, fell on his back, stood up, dusted himself off, took his helmet off, and said, you too can be explosive ordnance disposal. <laughs> and I said, I don't know what the other option is, but I'll take it. I want a job where I can make at least one mistake. And yes, uh, so this guy walked in in civilian clothes. He says, we'll take you. And I said, well, what will I do? He says, I can't tell you. And so I, after a whole series of questions, he couldn't give me any answers. I said, well, what can you tell me? He says, well, I can tell you you have two years worth of education. It's a four-year commitment, and there's none of us in Vietnam. I said, oh, I'll do that. <laughs> Amen. So I signed up for a four-year commitment in lieu of a two-year draft. I went to one year of language school and then one year of code-breaking school at NSA. Really? And uh, Yeah. So I became a, a foreign code-breaker. And uh, then I re-enlisted, got $20,000 cash to go back to Monterey to learn another language. And this time I learned Russian. And I worked as a Russian code breaker for three years. And I went back. They gave me $20,000 to re-enlist again. I went back for another year of language school. I went back for another year of Russian, become more uh, into the Russian language. And uh, then I went to serve that for three years. So, you know, I mean, it was just... Uh, constantly back and forth between language school and overseas assignments. And I spent a total of seven years in Germany listening to the Russians and and uh, playing with them. And, and then, of course, in 1989, the fall came tumbling or the wall came tumbling down. Yep. Uh, and so NSA decided to get rid of about 75 percent of the Russian linguists and Russian analysts. And uh, so that I was offered a job in Korea. And I said, I don't know why they want to send the Russian linguist to Korea. So I put in my retirement paperwork. Yeah, I can't imagine there was a huge need for the Russian language in Korea. I mean, I could be wrong. No, there, I mean, you know, uh, anything that we were going to get out of, I mean, you've got Sakhalin, you've got, um, you know, Eastern Siberia, you've got Yakutsk, you've got a couple other places, but they're of no strategic interest to anybody. And so we really couldn't hear anything of value uh, out in the Far East. You know, it's like thinking that we have something strategic in uh, Yukon, Alaska. <laughs> sure. No. So did, yeah, did I miss you said, um, did you do a different language before Russia? Did I miss yeah, that? I was Indonesian first. Really? And what was yeah. the during the Cold War? I'm of course, I'm a Canadian and, and a little younger than you, not a ton, but a little. You know, what what was the strategic advantage of Indonesian at the time? Well, Indonesia got their independence from uh, the, the Dutch from Holland in 1945 at the end of World War Two. It was originally called the, the Dutch East Indies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when they got their independence from, from Holland, uh, there was an opportunity for the domino theory uh, that they were going to go communist. And so they had this big rivalry between oh. Suharto and Sukarno and whether or not it was going to go communist. And as a matter of fact, there were a couple of people killed because they made the mistake of saying Sayadati U.S. I am from the U.S. Uh, instead of saying Sayadati A.S., which is America Sarikat, United States, U.S. is Unidad Soviet or the Soviet Union. So, you know, people who said 
things unknowingly got killed in Indonesia because of the rivalry between Suharto and Sukarno and whether it's going to be a free country or a communist country. Did not know that. Very, yes. So I am absolutely for what I'm, I'm not even sure how my um, interest came about, but civil defense. So I just recently I started a new series on the history of prepping. So I, I did the first the first episode was the 50s and civil defense. And, you know, so how you said your neighbor was the community liaison or the, the local person for that? Well, the, the local warden. Warden. That's that's, yeah. OK. And he built a cinder block. Uh, shelter? He built a cinder block fallout shelter. And back in those days, we didn't have solar or anything else. So, uh, you know, the air filter you sucked in. It was a HEPA filter, basically. And you sucked it in. And so the way you did that was you had to either a hand mill for you yep. actually cranking and producing electricity, or you had a foot mill on the bicycle. And you rode it, and that produced the electricity to run the lights and the uh, air power. Uh, so the electric motor suck in air into the shelter. And so if you didn't have somebody either hand cranking or riding a bicycle, you didn't have electricity. That's neat. So do you, I suppose he probably built it before, and I know you were fairly young, but um, did they fill the cinder blocks with sand or anything inside? I yes. looked, yeah. Yes. Okay. And what kind of, I, I, what kind of door did he have on it? Do you remember? Or was there even a door? Yes, there was a door, but okay. there was this. So the door was at, if you imagine that you've got a rectangle, right? And the door is yeah. here. Then you had your entryway that went from here across the building and then up. Okay. So it, was a, it, was, it was a double, it was an, uh, if you think of it as an S with yes. a very long central lap, uh, road. Because from my understanding, uh, radiation has a hard time going around corners. Was that That's the right. idea? That's why it was yeah. that long S. Huh. Very. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I know it was a scary time, but it was, you know, do you remember the Bay of Pigs and, and all of that or? I do, but to tell you the truth, I was 12 years old, so to me it was romantic, um, you know. Yeah, you were 12, right? Yeah, it, it, was, it was fascination more so than worry. I was 11 when uh, the first Gulf War happened, so I, I would imagine it was so somewhat similar in a sense, you know? Yeah. But, so you, um, from there, so how long were you in the military? Just under 21 years. Yes, sir. When did you retire? Uh, February 1st, 1991, right oh. after Desert Storm. So how many overseas deployments did you end up? Because um, the oh, 80s God. were different, hey? Like they, I mean, where, where all did you end up? Uh, I spent a half a year in Korea. Okay. <clears throat> I was there for the counter-terrorist stuff for the 1988 Olympics. Uh, the funny thing is we got on the airplane to leave from Fort Huachuca, which is where I was stationed to go to Korea the day after we found out that my wife was pregnant with my daughter. Oh, so, so yeah, I was gone. I missed the first two trimesters of her pregnancy, which I understand is a good thing. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, and, and then uh, of course, seven years in Germany. And uh, that was my primary thing was focusing on the German thing. And uh, that was pre pre Berlin wall collapse of, of course. Right. 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 Yes. Right. What so. was that like? I I'm, I was fairly, obviously fairly young and I've, I don't remember, you know, I've watched movies and documentaries, but what was that kind of the whole lifestyle like there at the time? Well, to tell you the truth, that was my wife's first introduction. She knew I was a prepper when we got married in 1984. Okay. Uh, you know, I had my, my lentils that I had never cooked in a, in a five gallon bucket and all this other kinds of stuff. And so unfortunately in the military, every time you get a bill, you build up a, a stockpile, 
and you get a PCS, which is a permanent change of station, you have very limited amount of weight that you can shift from one assignment to the next as your household goods. So I always ended up having to give away all my prepping goods every time we PCS, permanent change of station. Oh. And so she saw me giving all this, all this food away, you know, and, and uh, because we got married the day I was supposed to leave the unit. <laughs> and uh, so um, she knew I was a prepper then. then. Then she got over to Germany. And in Germany, if you have your spouse and family with you, every person that was there as a dependent of a military service member had to have what they called uh, a NEO bag. So NEO was NEO, non-combatant evacuation orders. So a bug so, out bag. Yeah, a bug out bag. So every person every in the family had to have basically a bug out bag uh, with all their documents, all their medications, all of their, uh, you know, at least one change of clothing and everything else. And in case the commies came across the border, they picked up their, their suitcase or bug out bag or whatever and ran to the collection point where they put them on a bus to take them, put them on an airplane and evacuate them back to the U.S. Really? Yeah. Wow. So was it because some of the guys I've talked to that spent time in Germany back then, they said for the most part, it was fairly relaxed, even with kind of the threat of everything over their head. Was it was that the case or was it fairly stressful at the time? It was surrealistic. It, it all depends on who you were and where you were. Uh, so the Second Armored Cavalry and the Eleventh Armored Cavalry were up in their in their respective areas on the, and they were the forward spearhead, if you will. Of so, so in Germany, it was it had this kind of an L shape. Okay. And Bavaria was down south, and you had the First German Army up. Uh, you had the the uh, British Army of the Rhine was way up north. That was a British area. That was where we expected the main thrust to come. Okay was uh, what they call the North German planes. So the first guard tank army, which was the really elite tank army of the of the Russians and Soviets, was going to take off against the BAOR, British Army of the Rhine. The first guard's tank army is the one that's been obliterated in Ukraine. Oh, okay. So they aren't as fearsome uh, <laughs> as we thought they were. Right. Okay. Um, so down south in, in, in that L, we had 11th ACR, 2nd ACR. So we had the Fulda Gap, and then we had the Hof Gap, which were, that's all mountainous area, so not very conducive to an invasion. Sure. So we had these two wide uh, gaps that were wide enough for a regiment to attack abreast. And so we had our Armored Cavalry Regiment there as a spearhead to protect us. And then we had two divisions behind them. So if you're in one of those two divisions behind them, you were kind of, yeah, they got, they got it. They can handle it, you know. And, and uh, we kind of had that superiority complex where we thought that we were better than they were and, and we could handle them no matter what. If, if the two Armored Cavalry Regiments didn't wipe them out, then we'd send in their division or two. You, you'd, you'd take care of it after that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in, I can't remember what grade it was, but... There was a girl in my class and she did a course for anybody younger than me. You're going to wonder what this is, but you remember encyclopedias, of course. Mm -hmm. So she had an encyclopedia at home and she did a project on East Germany and she wrote it all up, took it into the teacher and she ended up failing the class because East Germany didn't exist anymore by the time she wrote the paper. But she didn't know because wow. it, was, wow. it was in her, uh, you know, it was in her encyclopedia, right? So I, I, I thought it's crazy how fast things change, hey? One of the funniest stories was I was at a small intercept site called Detachment Wobeck. And you can look it up on Google and see the Tory Tower that looked into East Germany. We got a, a Christmas card every year from the uh, 
commanding general of the group of Soviet forces, Germany, letting us know that he knew we were there listening to him. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyhow, uh, I told you I got married the last day that I was at the last unit I was at in San Angelo, Texas. And so we had to wait six months for my wife to get identification and, and orders and everything to join me in Europe. So she flew into West Berlin. But in order to get to West Berlin from West Germany, from the border side I was at, just south of Checkpoint Alpha, which was Helmstedt. So if you look at a map, you're going from West Germany at, at Helmstedt into yeah. East Germany. You go across for two hours on, on uh, Highway 2. Uh, and then from there, you go into West Berlin at Potsdam, which okay. is Checkpoint Bravo. So you have Alpha and then heading east, going right, Bravo. And then, of course, if you go from West Berlin to East Berlin, it was Charlie. Sure. So we had a hard time convincing people that we had to go through communist East Berlin to get from West Germany to West Berlin. Because everybody assumed West Berlin was right on the border. Right. Most people didn't realize it was two hours deep into East Germany at 60 miles an hour. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So you actually had to cross into communist territory to get back to where you needed to be? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so she flew in, she flew in to West Berlin. Okay. Okay. And I had to drive across from, from West, Ber West Germany through East Germany to West Berlin to pick her up. And she'd been reading spy novels. So <laughs> you had to have this thing called, you had to have this thing called a flag order, which was, you know, from the commanding general of Berlin, allowing you to travel through the corridor to get back to West Germany. Everything had to be perfect. So they added Helen to my flag orders, and I gave them her ID card. They added her to the flag orders. I go through, I go to Potsdam, go to the Soviet checkpoint in Potsdam, and he's looking at it, and looks at her ID card, and looks at it, and looks at her ID card, and he goes in, and he comes back out. So he asks me, you know, please come in. And, okay. and so I acted like I didn't know what, was, what he was doing. I didn't want to give away that I knew what he was saying. So uh, I followed him in. And so there's this big banter back and forth between the fact that her name was there and then there was an open parents and W for wife and then close parents. Oh, okay. Okay. And so what the, the close open parents, W close parents, W for that W was not on the flag orders. Oh, sure. And so the guy showed it to me and I said, ah, it's a simple mistake. At the it's a je, the first letter for jena, which is wife. So it just so happens that the Russian letter je looks just 90% like our W. So the guy pinned it in. Oh. <laughs> and then he initialed it, said, okay, go ahead. You know, go ahead through the, the two-hour drive to, to Checkpoint Alpha. We got cleared, and he called and cleared me through the Soviet checkpoint in uh, Helmstedt. But when I got to Checkpoint Alpha with the U.S., uh, MPs, they want to know how in the heck did you get through there? I mean, this is crazy, but you know, it was, it was fun. That's... Of course she was scared the whole time, but it was, well, fun. sure. I'd have been scared too. <laughs> so it was, uh, I mean, similar to like a land border crossing today, or was it obviously a fair bit? I mean, armed guards and that sort of thing as well. No, or... there was armed guards, but it was okay. a border crossing. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, think of it as growing up in El Paso, think of it as, as the uh, Mexican border. You know, yeah, the, the Chamizal Bridge. So, so you're going from uh, from El Paso, Texas, to Ciudad uh, Juarez, uh, Chihuahua, Mexico. We we went from San Diego to um, 
Tijuana. Is that right? Yeah. And we walked across there a few years back and it's like a whole nother world. As soon as you get there, <laughs> just, oh, yeah, it is, you know, and, and, and right there at the border, of course, the number one thing is to sell to the Americans. So it's, it's touristy. Yes. So what you see just five kilometers in versus what you see right there at the tourist area, totally different areas. And it, it was at the time when, um, well, it, there was, there was a big rush on the border, you know, all the people coming up from Central America. So there was a lot of people just kind of existing just south of the, the fence, you know, they were all just there and it was, yeah, it's, it, it makes you think that's for sure. Yeah. You, you look in, for example, in El Paso, when you're driving on interstate 10, there was a big discussion when it was built, but Interstate 10 in downtown El Paso, which is the prettiest part of the town to see, is all subterranean almost. Oh, it's dug okay. into the ground, so you don't get to see anything but walls. But when you get close to this Asarco smelting plant and you're looking at the cardboard houses over in Juarez, they're being uh, heated with bituminous coal, and you see all the uh, pollution coming up, you know. Uh, then it's above ground and not only is it above ground, but it's elevated so you can see it better. And it, it just didn't make any sense to us at all. It's still that way. Uh, all the ugly stuff is above ground and all the pretty stuff. Now you're below ground. and can't see it. So 91, you retired. What did you do with that? That's 30 years, 31 years now. So what have you been up to since Lee? Let me tell you the best thing about the military is okay. of course, three years of language school and, uh, then one year of college before I got drafted. Uh, and so what the government did was while you're on active duty, they pay 80% of any education fees that you incur. Okay. So while I was on active duty, I was able to have the military pick up 80% of my bachelor's degree. I ended up with a bachelor's BA in Russian and then 80% of two master's degrees. Yes. What did you take? So I got an MBA in uh, production operations management okay. and I got an MPA master's in public administration and human resources management. Yes, sir. And so, so what happened was I was working on my MBA and I had one last class. It was called human resources management. It was an elective. And it just so happened I had one instructor of the year for the U.S. Army. Okay. So I was going to a conference at the Department of Defense where I was going to compete uh, with others for the Department of Defense instructor of the year. And I ended up being second best. But, uh, but anyhow... When I got back to Fort Huachuca, where I was stationed, where I retired from, there was an article about me being the Army's Instructor of the Year. And so the, the professor who was teaching the HR class had the, the Post newspaper. He said, is this you? And I said, yeah, it's me. He says, what's your major? I said, Production Operations Management. He says, oh, no, that's wrong. Trainers belong in HR. So he took me down to the dean's office. He says, we need to get this guy another degree. And so... <laughs> You know, I, I talked to a couple of deans, and so it turned out that if I just took a couple more classes, uh, they would give me a double master's, so the MBA, MPA. Wow. And so I took four more classes and got another master's degree, and uh, that's where I ended up being, was, was HR management and training after I retired. Uh, but I tried to get into training in manufacturing environments because, you know, of the MBA. I, I just love factories. That's real honest people. What, what do you like about factories so much? The, the people that work okay. there. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're very honest. They just want to come in, do a good job, do it as, to the best of their ability. You leave them alone. Don't mess with them. Don't play games with them. Pay them a good day's wages. Give them a couple benefits here and there. And uh, they love it. They don't mess with you. You don't mess with them. They'll work with you to see how we can improve the quality and production and efficiency and effectiveness. They're just great, honest people. 
uh, you know, there's no backbiting. There, there is backbiting, but it's so minimalized, it's pitiful. These are just hardworking, middle-class people that just want to do what they need to do, leave them alone, and they're going to go home and take care of their family. I like that. I bet you from 91, so when did you, are you retired yet? Oh, yeah. Uh, so so I was in HR, okay. uh, worked for the state. Um, we had, I, I worked for the Texas Air Pollution Control Board okay. and was at Houston, of course, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest polluters in, in, in the U.S. We got that under control. And, uh, but we had a, a new governor and the governor said, I want to appoint my personal people over the air control board. And they said, no, you can't do that. That's why we have six, uh, board members with staggered, uh, appointments so okay. that no governor can take over control of it. It's, it's, it's for the good of the people. She said, nope. So she took all 13 agencies that had anything to do with environmentalism and in Senate Bill 2, she created one new agency called the Texas Natural Resource Conservation Commission. We call it the train wreck. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but anyhow, um, so there was very competitive as to who became, you know, 13 different HR directors, 13 different training directors and everything else. And so I ended up being selected as the training director uh, among those 13 agencies. But it got so political. I mean, it oh. was... So I just, I, I left, I went to a healthcare system. Okay. Uh, then we were threatened with Obamacare. And, sure. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Hillary Care, with Hillary okay. Care, which was capitation. That means that you're going to get X number of dollars per person who lives within a radius of your hospital. And then it doesn't matter what happens to them. You're going to care for them because there are other people who aren't going to need care and you've getting money for them. Right. Right. So we figured out the only way we could survive was to change our nurse to patient ratio. So we let off about 70% of our RNs and changed them over to LVNs, licensed vocational nurses. Okay. And the way they told the RNs that they were, they were laid off was they canceled their garage pass. And so they had to pay $8 to park to find out that they no longer had a job. And I said, you know, that's not the way you treat people. So I left there. And uh, went into private consulting for quite a while. That private consulting led me to where one of my, my clients said, would you be our HR director? And it was a uh, electric power uh, distribution company. Really? Okay. So I got into that and did that for about four years. But it was, you know, I was commuting from here an hour and a half north every day. <coughs> and one of the, I was teaching the uh, uh, certification class. So in, in HR, we have a professional certification class. At that time, I was a uh, senior professional for human resources and professional human resources from uh, HR Certification Institute. And I was the master instructor for it here in the greater Austin area. And um, so one of my clients said, hey, Lee, I, I know you're driving back and forth a long distance every day. I'm leaving my job. I told him about you. Would you like to take over my position, which was H HR director for the third largest homeless shelter in the U.S.? Wow. And so I said, sure. So I, I, can, I, I went in, interviewed for it, and I did that for three years. And then I said, well, it's time for me to retire. So that, oh, now that, I'm retired. Was that uh, rewarding working at the homeless shelter or was it? It was and it wasn't. Once again, I mean, I can't believe the amount of politics that go into different things. And so it was, supposed, mm -hmm. it was run by the city, supposed to be secular. Uh, to give you an example, an example our, our executive director, uh, had a chip on his shoulder. He, he was gay and he thought everybody was homophobic. 
Oh, yeah. So he didn't want to have anything to do with any kind of religion because religion said that his activity was a sin. So we had this one lady and it was a black church. And I mean, they scrounged for months to come up with the money to buy a case of Bibles. And they wanted to pass out Bibles to the homeless. And they thought that maybe that would give them some sort of refuge, some sort of encouragement, you know, and help them to, to mend their ways and, and, and do go a different path. We got the case of Bibles in and went directly from the donation bin to the Dempsey dumpster. Oh, because Bibles say that homosexuality is a sin. And so, you know, but that could have done all these people so much good. And um, so, yeah, so I just, I had problems with that. So I, I, I ended up resigning from that position and deciding, you know what? I'm tired of all the politics. Goofy wants to know, I thought this was a good question. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, human resources from, say, 91 when you started to uh, 2022? Gosh, it has gotten so complicated. Uh, when I retired from it five years ago, um, I would say that we were transitioning over from a system of rules that were ethically based Yep. And now we've got a set of rules that are feelings based. <laughs> and the thing is, if you have ethics, if you have rules that apply to everyone, you know, you have to treat everybody fairly. You have to treat everybody uh, with equality. You have to treat them with dignity and respect. Those things we can kind of codify. Sure. But when you have to, when you have rules that say that you can't hurt their feelings and you don't know what their feelings are, then it becomes superfluous and you don't know what you're doing. And uh, so I, I think that question would be better asked to my daughter. For some reason, she decided to follow in dad's footsteps. Okay. And she's now an HR uh, director at a, a high tech company making twice the money. She, she only has the bottom certification, senior, uh, a professional in human resources. I was a senior professional. I had a master's in it. She has a bachelor's in it. She's making twice what daddy did. So... <laughs> So what are you doing with retirement? What do you got for, I know you're still a prepper, obviously, but what do you do to pass your time and have fun? Uh, grandchildren, fishing, okay. YouTube, yes. and, uh, you know, I, I'm very active in the church. Uh, so, you know, we, I, I, I spend probably three hours on Sundays at the church, uh, an hour and a half, two hours on Wednesdays, uh, and then private prayer, probably about an hour each day. Uh, and, and so there's some very good channels that I follow that I really, really like. So, you know, I, like I start off each day with, uh, father Mike Schultz's, uh, Bible in a year. Okay. And so I'll be com completing that uh, on December 31st. And I've asked my daughter, uh, to get me the, uh, catechism in a year that he's going to be doing starting January 1st. So, oh. So here is the catechism of the Catholic Church. Okay. Okay. So we're going to do all of that in one year. Nice. And uh, so I, I would I would like to have the study guide and the study notes and everything else for that as we go through that. So uh, that starts January first. How? So how long have you been doing the YouTube thing? I, I, I did most of my stuff on Facebook. Okay. Uh, and I, I I have a personal channel that I started nine years ago. I may have five videos on it, five or six. Uh, <laughs> yep. Fantastic guy by the name of Herdy Burke was my video consultant. And so he did he did a videography for that and everything else. And that was at my old house. And uh, so I decided to recently, after I got kicked off of Facebook, I still don't know why. Uh, I've asked several times. And so the only answer I've gotten is because you disagreed with us kicking you off in the first place. Okay. 
<laughs> so, so I've given up on Facebook. Uh, so I started, so Herdy and I had a discussion back in January or February. So I've been on Facebook. I've been on YouTube now. Oh gosh, nine months, 10 months. Yes, sir. You're doing really well. Yeah. Did it, um, so was it, was there a big learning curve for you to get into doing content? You know, I mean, yeah, because it, I know there was for me, so I can imagine there was for you. My, there, there, there are two things. Uh, so number one is how do I add value without sounding like a doomsdayer? Yes. I okay. love that. There are enough people out there who are telling all the bad stuff that's going on and the chicken little stuff and the sky is falling and this and that. I don't want to scare people. I just want to provide people with good solutions in case something happens. Uh, one of my big pet peeves is we get into arguments all the time and nobody announces this is what I'm prepping for. And this is where I think we are in the timeline in a post-apocalyptic event. Because as that timeline expands, different things are going to have different values. Right. And depending upon the, the event, I'm, I'm probably the only guy that carries a Geiger counter in his everyday carry. Sure. Okay. Well, that Geiger counter is absolutely no need if we have a financial collapse. Right. So for somebody to tell me your Geiger counter has no value, I say it does have value. But the problem is they're talking financial collapse. I'm talking nuclear war. We never straighten that out and say, here's where I'm coming from so that we can have a good constructive discussion. So that's one of the things I encourage is, is you know, and when I do my live interviews, one of the first things I say is, what are you prepping for? Remember the old doomsday prepper on oh, National yeah. Geographic Channel? What are you prepping for? I think that's the beginning of all discussions is what's the threat you think is number one so that you can then have a conversation. Gold and silver. No, it's not going to do you any good in within the first week after a nuclear attack. Right. But as the society rebuilds and there are marketplaces and we're looking for a common currency, it may have value. Absolutely. So uh, in, in a financial collapse, it may have value. If you, if you read the books, Sokol Begovich, if you read um, uh, Furfala Gire, if you read uh, Venezuelan Prepper, all three of those say, yes, in a financial collapse or even in a war, gold and silver have value. Uh, you know, and those guys went through it. So I, I take them at their word. But now is it going to have ultimate value? I don't know. You Maybe know, not so. immediate value, like you said. But I, right. because, I, you know, and I'm, I'm a sucker. I'd like to get into this. I forgot to mention this, but you have a book club too, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, and, and we, do, yeah we, we have one too. We're working through the Going Home book series. And oh, yes, that's what I'm doing. As a matter of fact, we're doing volume one on December, what is it, the first uh, Thursday of December. Okay. So we're going to be doing volume one. Oh, nice. We do I think the first Saturday of the month. I, I believe we missed last month because I was supposed to go to Dallas, but I think we're going into volume six, I believe. Yeah, I, we, we do ours the last Saturday of the month. Okay. But because that's with Thanksgiving, I postponed that for one week to the first Saturday. So we're doing, we just finished the five books of Stephen Smith. Which one's uh, that? Which is the Rosemont series. I don't know that. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's one of the Ooh. best series I've read. So what's that about? Rosemont? Uh, it, it's basically the same thing as A American's uh, Going Home series. The, the difference is that, that he's uh, building a community. Mm-hmm. And this is, and everything happens in West, on the Eastern Kansas, yeah. West side of Kansas city. Oh, so you're in the Kansas plains and it, it's got pretty much the same events and everything else. But you know, what I tell people is when you read either a American or you read Stephen Smith, 
Make sure you own plenty of book tabs. Okay. And make okay. sure you have a notebook and a pen because there's so much good stuff that's in there. You need to take you need to take notes. I had Chris or a American. I had him on the show. Um, oh man, I don't know, six months ago or so. And uh -huh. he, he ended up on for almost three hours. What, what a good dude. He is. Oh, just, I would love to interview him. Reach out to him. I can, I'll give you his email address because he's very approachable and very, very, very much. Um, yeah. Uh, very, very, yeah. What a good guy. And he's very open to being interviewed. I appreciate that about oh, him. Oh, great. Great. And, um, so, uh, is it somebody in here said it's Stonemont? Is it Stonemont series? Stonemont series, yeah. Okay, so that's the name of his ranch farm where he's building this community. I just started, I want to look it up here because I just started a new series a few days ago and I love it. But of course, well, I'm his website or okay. his, his YouTube channel is Integrative Preparedness. Okay, I'm going to write integrate. I think it's integrate, but it might be integrated. Let me check here real quick. I've been reading the Black Autumn series recently, and that's uh, it's really good. It's written from a obviously from an ex-military guy, very similar, but it, it take a lot of it takes place in the uh, the Tennessee area, and yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I wish I could write. Oh, I, I well anyway, I, I I love to create, and I have about three books gestating in my brain, um, and the problem I, I don't make excuses. It's just putting that pen to paper and taking the, well, you know, the metaphorical yeah. pen to paper, you know? His website is Integrative Preparedness, or his, his uh, YouTube channel. Okay. So He's what former undercover uh, narcotics officer. Okay. And well, I'm excited because we're oh, yeah. always looking for new series to read. Oh, my goodness. That's great. <laughs> so what, okay, let's talk about books then. Um you can list as many or as few. What, what are some of the books that have influenced you over the years? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I, the other one I really like is James Wesley Rawls. Sure. Now, so, uh, I won't lie. I don't love that series. I just like I it. I don't care for his series that much. Okay. But his nonfiction stuff is top of the mark. Okay. He, okay. So uh, I will just say his, um, his book, Patriots, reads like it probably should have been a nonfiction book. Uh, it, it reads like an Amazon shopping list. That's my only big concern. I, he had some great ideas. The, the opening collapse was good, but I got bogged, bogged down in the... Uh, Details. The, the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it got slow and tedious at times. Yes. And that's fair. You know, I everybody's... Yeah, that's cool. What about uh, One Second After? You ever read that? The Fortune series is a phenomenal series. And, and as a matter of fact, that influenced me a lot because... In, in one second after, uh, his daughter dies because they don't have a way of cooling her insulin. Right. Yep. We have an insulin-dependent type 1 brittle diabetic in our family. So because of that book, I now have a complete solar system for the house with battery backup. I have my Jackery over here. I have a solar-powered refrigerator freezer. I mean, everything I have done is, oh, my God, I am not prepared uh, to keep my family member supplied in insulin should anything happen. I've had a discussion with the Walmart uh, pharmacist here in town saying, here's the medication my wife is on in an SHTF envir environment. I know that there are other medications over the counter that we can get from you. What do you recommend? He says, when that happens, come see me. We'll get her taken care of. 
relationships are important, aren't they? Even oh, just yeah. simple conversations, like because that they'll remember you, you know. Oh, oh, we we had we, th this happened when I was getting my flu shot, mm -hmm. and uh, so I, you know, I like to joke around with people, and 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 you know, so like like when when a lady serves me breakfast for our Tuesday morning prayer prayer group, uh, she serves me with my eggs. And I said I want them sunny side up, not sunny side down. So can you go back and put that over for me? <laughs> Sorry, but, you know, doing little things like that, or or mm -hmm. if I use my credit card, I'll tell the guy, can I have the change back in twenties, please? And, you know, so people kind of, one of my, one of my favorites is when I meet somebody, I say, hi, how am I? And they'll say, fine, how are you? And I say, you didn't hear what I said. And uh, so in Spanish, of course, that's como estoy. Sure. And so they'll look at me like I'm an ignorant gringo and they'll say, no, no, you're supposed to say como esta. And I said, pero yo pregunto como estoy. <laughs> so then they understand I speak Spanish. And so that, you know, I understand conjugation of the verbs and everything else and they, they start laughing they and and they'll they'll we can have a good conversation after that but try this one sometime one of my favorites my wife rolls her eyes because i do the same thing i joke with people like that so when, when you're going through the cash and they say uh, would you like a bag for that or would you like to bag for that say well why should i bag for it i've already paid for it <laughs> my uh th and this is this is kind of morbid uh my <laughs> nephew who my nephew was uh, an artillery officer and so he left afghanistan after his third tour in afghanistan and he was exceptional he was going to make lieutenant colonel in 10 years and uh so he came back to fort sill which is the headquarters for artillery and he was going to teach the artillery officer advanced course and he bought a new motorcycle he'd only been back two weeks he was on an overpass and the uh you know where they joined the, the the different pieces of concrete together there's a gap the little so he, gap. Got, he got caught in that and it threw him over the bridge into oh, oncoming shit. traffic so he'd only been there two weeks and he was killed in a motorcycle wreck and uh, so we my daughter and i drove up for the funeral and i stopped at a uh, cracker barrel oh i love cracker barrel but and uh, so we had dinner and i went and, and i looked at the cashier finally ahead of time i said i am so sorry i should have asked this before i ordered but do you all take U.S. currency? And she looked at me and got this big look of concern on her face. She says, I don't know. I'll have to ask the manager. And so she left. And about three minutes later, she came back. I mean, she was upset. She says, of course we do. And I go, okay. <laughs> I've run it. Hey, I've gone through, I think I was in Minnesota one time. And I went to pay for my... Uh, toll on the highway or the bridge oh. or something and I handed them a mixed bag of change you know like I for it was 75 cents and I had two American and a Canadian quarter and she threw the Canadian quarter back at me and said we don't take that and uh, I had to laugh because of course growing up in Canada you know we just politely said thank you I've you know we would never turn down American change because it's worth more right. than ours <laughs> yeah yeah yep so what um, did you read? Have you read the whole one second after series or just absolutely? And and when I was in, in I, I did physical therapy. I broke my hand. No, what was that physical therapy? Oh no, my, I was in physical therapy because I came down with the, and it's what caused me to leave the homeless shelter. Mm. Is it, one of the uh, one of the homeless exposed me to SARS pneumonia, MRSA pneumonia. Oh, okay. So I was in ICU for two weeks, and got out. And I had to go do physical therapy, you know, exercises and everything, get my lung capacity back up after I was discharged. One of the other guys was there for cardio rehab. And so I gave him all three books to read while we were going through rehab together. Well, he graduated and I lost all three books. I haven't gotten them back yet. So, oh, uh, 
but uh, yeah, I, I love those books. That's that's a great one. I'm going to keep you know everything available. There's a he has a fourth one coming very soon. Uh, he's he's working on one. I I actually had Bill on the show um, about three Bill. months ago, and what a cool dude. We talked for ages, and he when we were done, he's like, so I'm going to come back in a few months on the show. He said I've got a um, I don't want to say a surprise, but he said I'm currently working on book four of the series, and I'd like to come back and talk. About wow, it. wow. It was, I uh, yeah. What a, I just, man, that uh, it was an honor to interview him, and I got to say, it's probably my favorite interview I've done in my whole time doing this because it was, yeah, he's a cool dude, really cool dude. Unbelievable. What other? Um, so, what other series are you into? Um, there's anything. another one. Yeah, there, there's another series, and it's twelve books, and it, it's uh, another going home series. And gosh, who's the author? No, it's not. There was another book that was about eight, eight books, eight or ten books. Uh, but it was the NASA EMP guy. Oh, yeah. You know what? So I've listened to him. He was on a podcast a while ago. I can't remember what his name is, but he 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 was in. Bradley. Yeah. And, but I didn't. So I'm I'm a little bit. How do you want to put it? Um, I'm a little short on books. So if I if I get into a book and I'm not digging it, I stop. Just well, simply, you know. my big thing about his was I'm not into the uh, zombie type genre. Sure. Yeah, even I get though it. we're missing the final episode of of, of uh, zombie walking, is that the tonight? Dead. But it will be. I checked already. It'll be repeated at eleven o'clock. So uh, I was a huge fan of that show for about five years, and I think one of the best pieces of television ever was the first episode of the entire series. Yes, yes, but I agree. It went it jumped the shark a few years ago i haven't watched it my wife still watches it but uh, anyway I, i've stopped watching it for a while it, it really changed it wasn't the same i don't make the same efforts to watch it now that i did even four years ago sure uh so yeah it, it's run its course it's time to go on but i understand there's going to be three knockoffs off of it yeah and i'll uh, take but, them they have good actors you know but the, the dr bradley series it has these people who morphed Oh, and okay. so you have these half humans and and humans and and the main character is a secret service agent and his father is a criminal. So you have that yeah thing going on, and then the president's daughter uh, hooks up with the criminal father. And it, I mean, there are some underlying things that are fantastic, but I'm just not into the zombie. No, I get meeting. it. It's, you know. I want to read more like a American, more like Fortune, more like Steve Smith. You know, I'm a sucker for so this um, the Black Autumn series, the first book. So each book, they all takes place in I think the first 18 days post collapse. Okay, I'm writing as you're talking. So go sure, ahead. Black Autumn's what it's called, and the first book, uh, it, it's a pre I use the term prepper porn. It is like I mean, it is an entire community that was built like a mutual assistance group from years before. And I'm just a sucker for that, like all of the ins and the outs of how they built this community and brought everything together. And then it deals with the politics and the psychology of keeping a group together afterwards, you know, and it was it's it, it I've really enjoyed it. I'm into book three. Each book is a completely different. So book one was like a mutual assistance group prepper compound of about 250 people. Uh, book two was dealing with a Mormon uh excuse me, the, the offset of the Mormons, a polygamist group, you know, and okay. like, uh, kind of a strange guy. Book three is a 
a Mexican drug cartel, but they're all, you can tell they're all coming together. They're all spun off the same event. So it looks really good so far. So Goofy Ruffy wants to, uh, yes. wants to know what I think about TV show Jericho. The finest. Oh my God. I knew there's uh, a reason why we got along. It is the finest show ever yes. produced in the uh, preparedness environment. Oh, I I, that, I was hoping you'd have an, uh, yeah, that is my favorite post-apocalyptic TV show or, or, or it's not even post-apocalyptic, it's apocalyptic. It was so well done, wasn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and I love the way they integrated all the characters and you got some real good learning while simultaneously getting to see the psychology that I think is going to be so critical in an apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic environment because there are going to be people whose minds are going to just melt. Yes, and you're absolutely. going to have to deal with them. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to. Uh, I, I'm arranging, uh, prepping with Sarge. He's a police psychologist. Oh. And I, when are we? When do I have him on? Uh, but I have him on for an initial interview. We're just going to be kind of like you and I are doing tonight. Yeah. And then we're going to schedule another interview where I just want to talk to him about what are we going to do with the crazy people, the the people who have post traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. the people who. Uh, you know, have lost people, can't deal with it. How are we going to move on our society? How are we going to rebuild it if we have such a high catastrophic rate of uh, mental illness following well, the, an event? And you know that's going to happen. Well, because uh, two, did you ever read 299 Days? No, I haven't. So it's really good as well. Um, a little more, yeah, it's a little, a little more on the religious and political side. Glenn's definitely far right, and that's okay. But the series is awesome. I love it. But as far as Jericho goes, when you mentioned Kansas earlier for the other book, I, my mind went to Jericho. But I, you know, was there certain sections that might have been a little far-fetched perhaps, but that is some of the most perfect. And to think it was made just for CBS. It was just a regular cable or a regular yeah. broadcast TV. You know? I was surprised when they canceled it. They brought it back for, do you remember they canceled it and then brought it back for, was it six episodes or? Yeah. And I met um, the, the guy that played Jake. Uh, I can't think of the actor's name now. Anyway, I met him at a Comic-Con a couple of years ago. And uh, he, he he definitely regretted them not making more episodes because it was, oh, yeah, it's so good. And I don't know if you're into comic books, but they did two more seasons of the TV show in comic book format. One of my followers, husband, owns the largest comic book distribution company in the u.s is it diamond uh i forget the name of okay it. that's fine yeah they're based out of miami florida okay and uh, so i had another person who was talking about her son was deployed to poland with the first cav and, and everything so they put together comic book uh crates of comic books and candy and all kinds of other things and I mean, probably five different crates, five or six crates of comic books and candy that they sent over to the soldiers in the first cab division. So, so what do you think? What do you think Jericho got right? Uh, I, I think the idea about having solid leadership mm -hmm. uh, and having the respect and trust of the people, uh, having a little bit of, an, of a foreknowledge about what you have to have, how are you going to reinstate it? how you're going to uh, motivate people to go without in order to have something bigger in the future. That's good. Um, you know, I, in a sense, I equate Jericho as the milder, kinder version of Animal Farm. Yeah, I could see that. 
Absolutely. You know, I loved Animal Farm. I read it multiple times in high school. So, so you know, instead of a Napoleon, imagine if Snowball had been in charge. <laughs> sure. And if Snowball had been in charge, they would have called it Jericho. Yes. I love it. That not that funny? What do they call those? A, um, oh, uh, uh, it's a dictator, but a benevolent dictator. That's, yeah. you know, I hate to use that term because I'm, I'm an anarchist, so I, I'm not a big fan of, I, I hate the word anarchist because people always think terrorist, but, I, you know, a voluntarist that all interaction should be voluntary in, in choice, right? So right. I don't love government in general, but yeah, the whole, I, I think in a collapse scenario, you need someone, you need strong leadership that's going to hold it together, that people can stand behind because somebody's going to have to make that decision that so, that everyone needs to go without for a while for the benefit of everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's a fantastic 10 minute video on YouTube. Just do it, do a, a search for the five basic forms of government. Okay. And so, and, and it's only two minutes long, but it talks about, you know, there's five forms. You have the, the, the dictator. Yep. And then of course, but the dictator doesn't exist by himself. He, he really exists in an oligarchy, right. which is a group of leaders, but they elect him to be the representative leader. Then there's uh, anarchy, which is no government. And then in between, as you're moving up this scale, you have democracy, which is rule of the mob. Right. People so, don't understand that. And, and so so then the one that's kind of in the center is called a republic, which is basically a representative government that has a constitution or rules that protect the minority. So the example they give in the movie in this 10 minute clip is imagine that you were accused of horse wrestling. And uh, a posse, assemble a posse of 14 people and they chase you and they catch you. If they vote eight to six right then and there, the minute they catch you to hang you in a democracy, you're hung. Right. Because the majority rules. People don't understand. Whereas in a republic, you have the fourth, fifth and sixth amendments. And the sheriff says, no, you can't hang him. He's got these rights. We got to give him a fair trial. We've got we have got all these procedures we have to follow. And then even then. A democracy doesn't rule in the courtroom. You have to have unanimous conviction. So, you know, I mean, fantastic 10-minute video. I recommend it to everybody to understand the five basic forms of government. Huh. I like that. I can dig that. How about any other shows? Uh, Jericho, do you have any other um, TV? Or are you much of a TV guy? I haven't been for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, you know, I, I watch uh, The Walking Dead. And uh, then Thursday nights used to be my primary night. So, you know, but nothing, I'm, I'm disappointed. We don't have the quality of, of uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In from the late 60s. We don't have uh, Battlestar Galactica, you know. that. Uh, oh, are you a sci-fi dude? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so, no, I don't watch it. I, I, I like Young Sheldon. Okay. And... Uh, I really liked Big Bang Theory, but that's mm -hmm. that's off now. And I liked Mash, and it's off now. And so, uh, I guess oh, I'm yeah. a re I guess I'm a rerun guy. Yeah, I like a lot of the older stuff too. I enjoyed it. I I was a Star Trek Next Generation fan in the '80s and oh, '90s, big time. Yeah. Absolutely, that was ahead of its time. I loved that. And then I watched. Yeah, I remember when uh, Deep Space Nine came out. I watched that for a couple of years. Then I lost interest, and then I really. Haven't followed Star Trek since. I, I enjoyed, but Next Generation was so good. It, it got so esoteric. Yes. You know, and, and finally, at the end, they deified uh, what was his name, the commander of Deep Space, Space Nine. Oh, uh, Benjamin Sisko. 
Yeah. Yeah. So he got deified at the end. And I thought, nah, you know. It was a little so for a guy, I always looked at um next generation it and maybe because of when I was younger, it was very action-packed, I felt because it was always, hey, we're leaving the ship, we're going to a planet. And then you went to Deep Space Nine, which was very political, and everything took place right. on the space station. So there wasn't as much room to go places and do things. So it, I, I enjoyed it, but to be honest, I think it was a little over my head at the time. See, I think Jean-Luc Picard was the penultimate leader. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so he was he was always rationalizing and trying to get emotions out of it. Yes. And, yep. uh, you know, that, I, I just, I wish I good. could be like him. I know. Um, Hunter said, what about Twilight Zone? Were you a Twilight Zone fan? Oh, God. So I there's, love there's, the Twilight there's Zone. There's one, and I can't remember the name of it. And there's very not very much noise or, or sound in it at all. But this lady all of a sudden hears a crash and she goes up into her attic and she's and there's a spaceship. And it's got all these little bitty spaceships flying around and they're shooting her with lasers. And she's trying to bat them out of the air with her broom. And I mean, she's getting killed like you would not believe or, or injured like you would not believe. And she's fighting these things. You're cheering for the lady. Get all those spaceships. Then finally, at the end, she goes up to the to, into her uh, attic. She takes an axe and chops the spaceship in half. And then, as she chops it in half, you see USA on the side of the spaceship, and and you hear this oh. urgent call back to Earth that they've been destroyed by the new by the new. Uh... Rod Serling was an absolute genius, and he put out something like, was it thirty or forty episodes a year of that show? Like, yeah, it was yeah. unreal. Uh, there's another one very similar to that where there's a family and he works for the military and they have to run to the base and they have to get on the plane to escape the planet because there's a nuclear bomb coming in. And as they escape, they say, well, what planet are we going to go to? And they're like, well, this planet over here called Earth would be really nice. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, I don't know. Um, My two favorite are Time Enough at Last. That's the one where the guy. Reading. Yes, works yeah. at the bank. I because I there's a lot of there's it's I think it's a prepping allegory to be honest because yeah. I, I always think about it, it reminds me of the guy that has a bomb shelter full of food but doesn't have a can opener, you know. And my, my, my grandfather was, yes, was a railroadman. Okay. So every time he stopped, he would buy a handful of paperback books. Oh. And he had this humongous log cab log cabin. Uh, in a little place called White Rolls, New Mexico. So as you're driving from Alamogordo up into the uh, uh, Lincoln National Forest, where Smokey the Bear comes from, going towards Cloudcroft, this is halfway up the road. Okay. He had this humongous living room, and it was nothing but bookshelves. So his idea was when he retired from the railroad, he was going to read books for the rest of his life. Three years after he retired, he went totally blind. Of course, yeah. You know, so, so kind of one of those perfect things for Rod Serling. It, oh, um, my other favorite is the monsters on Maple Street. That's the one. So that's where the power start. The power goes out, and nobody knows why. Yeah, then, yeah. So, um, if uh, apartment prepper's still in here, there's a film from the '90s based on that episode called The Trigger Effect, and it mm -hmm. is one of my all-time favorites. That flies under the radar. A lot of people don't know about it, but it was totally based on that script of that episode. And I, that's probably my favorite because it is one of the ones that shows how fast society could collapse and 
how squirrely people can get on a very short notice. Well, another one like that is the bunker. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so that's, you know, they're, they're all, they're, there's what, four families sitting around a table eating dinner. And then all of a sudden the radio says that there's nuclear stuff coming in. So the family goes down into their shelter down in the basement. The other three families are trying to take all kinds of things and break in. Yes. So one family says, no, 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 you we're not, we're not gonna let you in. Then all of a sudden they find out that it's a, it's a false alarm. So what's going to happen to the relationships of these people afterwards? That's a yeah. good one because I, so there was a, a guy that used to come on the survival podcast a lot. His name was Stephen Harris. And he was, he was very much into backup power and things, but he always said that it was uh, cheaper and easier to feed your neighbors than to shoot them. And mm -hmm. I really loved that. And he talked about, he had a few, few things he would do. One of them was, I think it was like deep, I forget. It was like deep fried corn that he would make that kind of turned out like cornflakes or something. I, I, wow. Yeah. And he, and, and another one was, uh, Pudding, chocolate pudding powder, and oh, what was it? Um, coffee creamer. You know the the powdered stuff. Mm -hmm. And he would make drinks out of it, and it was a high caloric. Anyway, so those were a couple of things. And he always said, "You have to live next to these people, and there's a good chance you're going to come out the other side of whatever the emergency is, and still have to look them in the face." So we had Snowmageddon here two years ago in February sure. of twenty one. And so everybody knew who to go to for heating advice and everything else and electricity and all that kinds of stuff. I mean, it's hard to hide the solar panels on the roof. Right. And uh, so I gave away a whole bunch of stuff and, and food to some families and everything else. So I tried to get everybody together after Snowmageddon, two families out of 120 showed up. But uh, my, my thing is James, the second chapter of James verses 14 through 24 says, O vain man, thus not know that faith without works is dead, being alone. What doth it profit, my brother, if a man de is destitute, naked in food and clothing, and he comes to you, and you say unto him, Depart, my brother, be filled with the Spirit, go in peace. Notwithstanding, you give him those things which are needed. What doth it profit? Thus thou not know that faith without works is dead, being alone. So I believe that in order to prove my faith as a true Catholic, if somebody comes to my house, I have to feed them if they're destitute. Sure. Okay. So I, I have in my prepping pans, I, I, I do not, I can't stand oatmeal, but I've got more oatmeal and you know what to do with, because that's a very caloric, high caloric, dense meal that you can put into a Ziploc bag and hand to somebody and say, here's a meal. Absolutely. Okay. And so I plan, I, I, I store stuff. I plan on giving away for that very reason. I have to live with these people afterwards. And the other thing is, if I have to go down to the river to get water, who's going to guard what at my house? I've been dealing with that. Anyway, sorry, go keep going. Yeah, yeah. You know, so 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 I have to form some sort of an alliance with my neighbors. So if you work, I'll feed you. Right. Which is basically the same ten, the same tenement that uh, tenant, uh, the same belief in the Rosemont series by Stephen Smith. You work, you eat. Right. Okay. <laughs> that that's been the the entire tenant of civilization up until perhaps the last 75 years that if, yeah. if you don't work, you don't eat and you don't eat, you die. It's pretty simple. So, so that's what I'm, that's my plan. I want to feed people to get guard duty and, and help. And I, I may just sit in my house and say, here, I will feed your family today. If you'll go down to the river and get me 10 gallons of water. Sure. I'll feed your family today. If you'll go get me half a quart of wood, you know, but, you know, if they know that I'm not only taking care of them, but their family, their immediate family, then I think most people would be willing to do that. That 
to me, I wouldn't say has been my struggle, but preparedness that the whole world and mindset of preparedness has very much been the lone wolf uh, mindset for a long time. People said, you know, I'll take care of mine, me, me and mine, you know, me and my, my family, and that's it. And I'm going to have enough and I'm going to be self-contained. Well, I think if anybody has the assumption that you're going to live completely a self-contained lifestyle, I think you're going to be in for a world of hurt eventually. Well, you won't be able to sleep. That's for sure. That, that number one. And what about all, I don't care, even the best, the best pasture, the best everything based on permaculture principles, you can't produce everything you need to live. It's no. almost impossible. And if you could, you're going to be working day and night. So why not? develop a community why not have relationships with your neighbors there there's a guy eric and I, I forget the name of his gardening show uh but he's in san diego he has a fantastic gardening show and i'll, I'll find and, and, sure. and send it to you uh but anyhow he did an experiment and he had a 20 by 40 plot in his backyard where he grew grew wheat okay at the end of the harvest that wheat barely produced enough flour for one loaf of bread Oh, I, people don't. So I live in the prairies here, you know, in, in Alberta. And I mean, you, you can see, you know, people don't buy acres here. They buy quarter sections, which is a quarter mile of land, which is 240 acres. And you see the massive, massive areas of canola and wheat and oats yeah. and the sheer magnitude of what it takes to fill a truck with grain. <laughs> people don't oh, yeah. realize it's unbelievable. And and the same thing, we're, we're threatened with this train strike right now. Right. And so I was in the electric power distribution industry. We had our own uh, power plant that supplied us with the with the uh, electricity. It was a coal plant. They have a two-mile-long coal train every other day to keep that power plant running. So if we don't have trains, at the end of two days, there's no power to that power plant, and we're going to lose electricity. People don't realize it. We're we're in, uh, interdependent. Sorry, everything is right. Everything is that the the Black Autumn series, the very first book um, in it, they talk about. Uh, there's a power plant in Utah that is powering California, and it brings. I forget how far it needed to travel, but they brought coal every single day, and it took one day to interrupt that brownouts, blackouts, and then nothing. And, and, and I did some consulting for uh, PICO, uh, Pennsylvania okay. Electric Company. Yep. And so they, they have the, the, the very first nuclear power plant that was brought online in the U.S., which is Peach okay. Bottom. It's on the, it's on the uh, border between Pennsylvania and Maryland. Okay. They have the very last nuclear power plant that was brought online in the U.S., and that's at Limerick. And then they have the only power plant that has ever had a nuclear failure, and that was Three Mile Island. Right. So, so you know, they kind of have, have that gamut. But I was doing some consulting work for them. And what I didn't realize was every six months, one sixth of all the rods in the power plants are replaced because of the half-life. And so they want to keep a consistent amount of heat being generated to, to produce the steam. So they pull out the oldest one sixth of the rods every six months and replace okay. them with new rods. Yes, well, sir. guess what? Those old rods are radioactive. Right. And so now they have to take those and dispose of them. And so we've got all this nuclear waste, and that's the source of the nuclear waste. Uh, that you know have have half lives that there's still going to be viable radioactive materials for another 30, 36 years. I'd be Although it's going to be decreasing in, in radioactivity, but 
Do you like the idea of nuclear power? Uh, yes and no. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I like the benefits of it. I dislike the disadvantages of it. And, and like we're seeing with Zaporizhia in, in Ukraine right now, uh, you know, it can be weaponized. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, if we have another uh, Chernobyl, and I'll, I'll give you a hint about Chernobyl here in a minute. But if we have another Chernobyl or another Fukushima, uh, I don't know if the world can handle that. But, uh, you know, that's... So the disaster aspect of it really has me going halfway insane. Uh, but the advantage of it, as far as the limited amount of output, as far as hydrocarbons and things like that, I think it's phenomenal. So here, here's something. Chernobyl is a cognate word, and it consists of actually two words. Okay. So the first one is Cherna, C-H-E-R-N-O, which is Russian for black. Okay. And the second word is Bwil, B-Y-L, which is the past tense of Bwit, B-Y-T, which is the Russian word for to be. So Chernobyl means it was black. Hmm. So how did they foresee that ahead of time? That's interesting. I, did you see the miniseries? The, yes. Yeah. Oh, I, we, we really enjoyed that, my wife and I. I mean, it was, it was a good look. I thought it was a fairly fair look into what cost, you know, what, what caused it and, and the Russian pride behind, you know, and it, the pride behind hiding what happened or maybe not wanting the world to know and possibly making it worse because of it. Well, I, and I think we're finding out a lot of things about what we suspected about the Soviet Union being so far advanced. Uh, I think, you know, we, we had these suspicions that they were really far advanced. I, I'm beginning to question that now, you know, about how advanced they really were. Uh, the Soviet Union, especially. Maybe Russia's come up with it, but I don't know. The one that has me scared at night is China. Sure. I, I dig it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so much they've stolen from us, and then they've got some fantastic brains in that country. I would not be surprised to find out that they're 10 years ahead of us in technology. I think Russia put on a really good show. The um, was I just read, the, I think it was called The Hammer. The Hammer of God. It was a, um, a book from the 60s on, it was, it, no, maybe it was the 80s. Anyway, uh, a comet was going to hit Earth. Anyway, and it did. And the, the, there was four guys up in the space station, two Americans, two Russians. And they talked about how they pushed, the Russians pushed themselves to be the first people in space and ignored tons of safety. They they were looking for the splash. You know, they were, they, were, they had... Um, what was the very first satellite? Sputnik, right? They got Sputnik exactly. up there. Yeah, I think that was what it was called. Anyway, they pushed really hard without any um, concern for safety. And they, they really just wanted to be seen as advanced, even though a lot of that might have been a bit hollow, if that makes sense. No, no. Perfect sense. Um, so we got a question here. And I don't know. I didn't know anything about this. Maybe you do. Um, Goofy Rufy wants to know if you know anything about thorium small scale reactors. No, I don't. Okay, me either. So, but let me scroll down because Michael Sparks says the new thorium reactors can be shut down immediately. Totally different than Chernobyl or Fukushima. That's fantastic. Yes. I And I'm also very intrigued on some of the post-nuclear waste storage and what they can do with that. Because recently, well, I say recently, a couple of years ago, I read an article where they were taking that... Uh, spent nuclear waste and turning it into small batteries that could last literally generations. 
Huh. And, and they were now they weren't going to be you weren't going to run your cell phone off them. But what you were going to run would be things that would have like, remember, you know, the calculators that had the little solar panels in them, you know. Yeah. Or things like um, kitchen scales, you know, the little digital ones that just have. So they're looking at taking that waste and putting little tiny bits in there for a battery that will last generations. Well, that makes perfect sense because if you think about it, what they do is they take limited quantities of a radioactive substance, they put them into a centrifuge, and then they compact that down into a pellet. Right. And they take these pellets and put them into a rod, compress that inside the rod, and that becomes your nuclear fuel for a power plant. Right. So why can't we reverse that, take the rod apart, take out the pellets, decompose the pellets back into the unconcentrated form of, of nu radio nuclear radiation and make that something safe that we can use. So that, what you're saying makes perfect sense to me. I don't know why we haven't been able to master the uh, technology behind that. I think more of, I think the technology into developing the power was, there was a lot more time and energy spent into that than the, uh, rescuing or dealing with the, the byproduct afterwards and hopefully we spend more time on that you know so the book i was wrong and thank you chris dixon it was lucifer's hammer really good classic it's right up there with um on the beach you guys are giving me way too much to read i know it, it was yeah it's really good um on the beach lucifer's hammer in the last babylon oh, oh on the beach oh my god Oh, if you want to be depressed, read On the Beach, right? Have you read oh it? Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> it is, oh, I just, yeah. Um, I remember being in a funk after finishing that book for a couple of days. It, it's very bleak. It, there's no, yeah, there's no hope in it. If you, yeah. um, the last, the last it, summer, and, and luckily they had a woman on board. I don't know how that happened, but, uh, you know, gosh, the last submarine with the last living humans on Earth. Yep. Um, the road. Have you ever read the road or watched? No, I haven't. I haven't seen okay. the movie. I haven't read the book. It, you, I mean, you can, but I will, I won't lie. It's, it's every bit as bleak as on the beach. There's no right. hope in that either. Yeah. It very, uh, I don't know. It's one of those watch it once, but if, if you have kids, it's really, it's a tough watch. Let's put it that way. It was, well, there was a real good Charlton Heston movie made back in 1970, 1971, where he was the last man alive. Was that and Omega that was Man? Huh? Was it Omega Man? Yeah, and so that's been just recently re-released with uh, Will Smith, oh, huh? Will Smith, Will Smith, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am Legend. I am Legend. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, I think we could talk about this stuff for for uh, weeks. This is great. I love that. Yeah, I've never seen the Charlton Heston one though. Was it good? Oh, I think it was better than the Will Smith one. Okay, because uh, I like Charlton Heston. I, I love, and I'm a sucker for those '70s um, body snatchers. Do you remember body snatchers with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Blade Runner. Yes. Yep. And Soylent Green. So, it's people. Yeah. Sorry. I just spoiled a 40 year old movie, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Soylent Green was, we, we quoted that for some reason that came back around in the seventies or in, in the nineties. Everybody, everybody loved to talk about Soylent Green. Yeah. 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 Were you an Art Bell? Uh, did you listen to Art Bell on the radio? Back no, in I didn't. Day? No. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember I, most of my, most of my seventies, eighties and early nineties were in Europe. Sure. Yeah. So, I, so what, what we listened to on the radio was Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. That makes sense. Were, were you ever into ham radio at all? I I wasn't, but I should be because you know I was in signals intelligence, so I, I had to master everything you have to have to, in order to have a ham uh, license. 
I've, I've, I purchased a, a study guide for ham license. It's still up here, one of those tabs right there, uh, two years ago, and I still have to do it. The same thing with I have the C.S. Lewis class on uh, understanding Christianity, you know, by, by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And that's yeah. another tab I have open that I paid for. I need to do one of these days, but. One of my favorite quotes that circulated was from C.S. Lewis during during the COVID times. And it was, I want to say it was in either the late 50s or early 60s. He was doing a lecture and a student come up to him and they said, how can I do anything? You know, it was um, basically we live in a nuclear age when we can be decimated at any time. Why should I do anything? How can I live my life? And C.S. Lewis looked at them and he said, listen, for as long as humanity has been alive, Absolute decimation has always been an option. If you lived in a village on the coast, the Vikings could show up tomorrow and completely destroy everybody. But people have lived their lives and continue to do great things for all that time. And that is set with me. That was when, when COVID was at the height of its fear. That quote stuck with me because everybody was scared shitless. Pardon my French. No. And they wanted, everybody's like, well, I can't do it. You need to live your life. You need to get out yep. there and do great things no matter what, right? Which is exactly why I refuse to be a fear monger on my channel. Right. And I, I am a huge... I, yeah. I want people to know there are tools, there are techniques, there's books, there's knowledge, there's skills. We can get through this together. Absolutely. And I'm... So I, I, I'm very open with my community uh, I don't, I, I tend not to spend a whole lot of time talking about the news. The only articles I'll share are solutions-based articles, things that, hey, here's something we can be aware of that might help us in the long term. So I, and I'm not a fear monger, and, but I came to prepping out of fear. And I say a lot of people do because everybody, I, fear is a really good short-term motivator. And, you know, whether it's Y2K 9-11, the 2008 collapse, people are Mind scared. calendar. Right, 2012, absolutely. 2020, whatever you want to, you know. And so people come to prepping, but when that doesn't come to fruition, whenever, whatever thing you're scared of doesn't happen immediately, you have one of two options. One, you can bury your head in the sand and go back to living the way you were. Right. Or you can say, hey, prepping can make my life better, so let's figure out how it can make it better. Right, right. And I appreciate that about you because I, I don't like the people who focus on doom and gloom because it's there. You can't do anything about doom and gloom. So why focus on it? You can do something about how you're going to react to it. Amen to that, brother. Right. And what so, do you mean by that, that? Expand. And, and well, well, I, I think, you know, there, there's there's plenty of threats out there. And so how we react to it, we can run around with our heads cut off like, like a chicken, you know, and say, oh, my God, it's happened. Uh, then I think there's the other ultra extreme of that. And there are these ultra religious people who say, oh, I'm not going to do anything. It's all in God's hands, you know. And, and so they're kind of that's in a sense, they're the same thing as the, 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 the chicken with the head cut off, except mm -hmm. that they're a little bit more stoic. Right. And, and, uh, and they might have a little, anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the same time, these people, I would look at them, I'd say, well, what would have happened if Noah had said, I'm not going to build the ark, it's all in God's hands. Right. You know, and, and so I, I think you have to find this happy medium about what can I do that's not going to be to the detriment of how I live today, 
in order to better prepare myself for anything that might happen tomorrow. And hopefully it makes your life better, whether bad things happen or don't. Right. right. Because here's the thing. I, I, I watched a video earlier today on picking out different types of um, powdered milk for your pantry. So having powdered milk in your pantry makes life better for you, whether the shit hits the fan or it doesn't. Because if you're sick or you lose a job or the weather's bad, you have powdered milk in your pantry. How is that ever a bad thing? Right, right. If you're under six feet of snow, that had once in a thousand year lifetime event, or you're in Texas and you have everything's frozen, the roads, you can't do anything for right. eight days, you know, then then uh, I guess you go to your local prepper and you get canned ham and soups. And and that's part of it. And we, um, so I, I keep, well, I got three generators, but I keep two that I run all the time. And one is for us, and another one is for either family who might need it, or driving around and running it for neighbors. You know, hey, do you, do you need power for a half an hour to make a hot pot of coffee, charge your phone, or, yeah. you know, whatever, right? And why not? I think, I, I always say I love, to sh I love to spread the gospel of preparedness, because mm -hmm. if you're doing good things for other people, how can people look at you and say, oh, well, he's just a crazy prepper. I don't want anything of that. And the other thing we have to do is we have to do this with humility because it's so easy to say, I know everything and, and I don't, right? Uh, you know, and, and so, and, and also be uh, honest in your mistakes. And so I will tell you, I thought I had everything taken care of for, for, for ice Mageddon and snowmageddon here in Texas. Sure. And uh, so, you know, I, I said, well, no problem. You know, the, the, all of my solar system was covered with ice and it was overcast and there was no electrical production through the solar system. I said, I'm going to take my 5KW generator out back, put some gas in it and run uh -oh. through it. And we're going to we're going to provide electricity for for some essential things. Only one thing. How do you get the electricity from the 5KW in the backyard into the house without either an open window or an open door? in five degree weather and we aren't we don't see five together degree weather here uh so negative 20. Right. Um, but uh <laughs> so so i had i had to say man i did not think this through right so now i have to have i had to call an electrician and put in a, a, a kind of like a little pathway mm -hmm. in my wall where i can plug an extension cord male part into the into the uh, 5kw generator the female part gets plugged into the wall on the outside then on the inside, there's another female uh, receptacle, just like a common household receptacle that I can plug something into. So now I have that problem solved. But had I not failed the first time, I would not have thought about that well enough in advance where I'd have a solution for it now. And you know what? It, it's not that you failed. I always tell people the only mistake or the only failure is the one you don't learn from. So you did an after action report. You had a power outage. You couldn't figure out how to get power from generator into the house. So you said, guess what? Next time I know how to do it because I'm going to get a, I'm going to get an electrician there and I'm going to make it work. You know what? We ran into that same problem one day, the very first power outage we had when just, I had. Just one minute, oh, yeah, sorry. Allison called, but she didn't think it would be tonight, but just in case we should have what we need to have. For okay. Got a baby on the way. In the middle of the night, not to worry about taking the boys to school. Okay. So earlier, we have to take the pie to school. Okay. Okay. But I'm a little stressed. So I understand. 
So, so the daughter called and she says she doesn't think it's going to happen tonight, but for us to get everything ready so we can run over to her house uh, after a phone call and babysit the boys and how to get them to school and everything else tomorrow morning. And so your missus will do fine. Yeah, that, yeah. that's great. I, it's uh, I, yeah, it, it's stressful, but I can tell she has her heart in the right place. It, that that sucks. But it, oh, I mean, yeah. it just it's it's stressful, but it's going to be awesome when it's when it's over with. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be another wonderful grandson or granddaughter. I'm hoping for a granddaughter. We've got two grandsons, wonderful grandsons. And we, I'm hoping for a granddaughter. I was going to tell you right quick before I forget. Um, in a pinch, a doggy door works really well for passing uh, a cable through the house in, in an emergency. So if you have a dog door, a lot of people don't think about it. Run your extension cord through there and you have some power. I, I would do that. But the problem we have is our backyard basically goes out to a field. And we have an awful lot of Western Diamondbacks and Copperheads. Oh, see, I, so, I wouldn't think I, that's not an issue in uh, minus twenty Alberta. A little yeah. further south, we do have uh, we do have rattlesnakes here, but which, not which is why even even my firewood I have we don't have a fireplace, but I have firewood for just an emergency. So I have these fifty five gallon trash cans, and I put my firewood inside them because if you have a a stand of firewood in the backyard, uh, that's a nesting place for rattlesnakes. Oh gross i i don't know so, if, if you live around them it's fine but for whatever reason I, yeah if it's not something you're used to i just i don't like snakes. let's just put it that way i don't love them so yeah yeah you have a dog i hear a dog i have we have we had two okay uh chihuahuas and then uh my daughter knew- has a, had a chihuahua she got when she was a sophomore in college uh so that had to be 2009 okay and so i guess she's 13 years old now uh, but her oldest son has a, has a, he likes to carry her like a rag doll Oh, and she's a little bit on the fragile side. So she asked us if she, we would adopt, uh, this old black chihuahua. She's the smallest of the three. So, uh, yeah, we adopted her. So now we have three chihuahuas, two goldens and one black. I knew, my goodness, I, I like you more and more every time, uh, the longer we talk here, Lee. So my wife and I have six chihuahuas. Oh, so, really? Yeah, wow. that, that is cool. I There's something, I don't know. It's just, it's a daddy thing where you have to protect them, but they're so tiny and fragile, but they're, they got so much attitude, don't they? Oh, gosh. They, they, they let you know exactly what they want. That's for sure. Well, we have been an hour and a half and oh, wow. is, I know what an, thank this number one, this was greatly at, well, thank you. No, I, I'd love, if, if you'd be up for it, I'd love to have you back in the new year sometime. I would love to. I'd love to have you on my channel too, because you are just so inspirational, so positive. I love it. Anytime. I, man, I, so I get apartment you. prepper LG. Thank you for the introduction between the two of us. Uh, of course, both of you, I love you on my channel as well, but you know, sometimes what we have to take a look at is there's all these little circular communities. Okay. And so we've got, you know, my little community, we got apartment prepper LG, we've got uh, Van City Prepper from Northwest yes. Canada, uh, we've got uh, Prepping by Faith, part, uh, uh, Prepper Dog, uh, Nene's Prepping, we've got all this fantastic little group, our little enclave, but there are contact points between our little circle and other little circles. And the, the more we can integrate these little circles into at times, larger circles of people sharing common interests and common learnings and, and how we can get it out, get through this mess, whatever it's going to be together. I think the better off we're going to be. Oh, absolutely. 
So how do people find you? Uh, my channel is uh, the Cold War Prepper, just Cold War Prepper, like you see it on the screen. Uh, so it's just slash C slash Cold War Prepper. Uh, I have a website, but it's going to come down at the end of December. I'm, I'm not getting that much off of it. I, I spend all my time on YouTube. I'm not putting as much time into the uh, website as I should. So that's just going to be a, a multi-thousand dollar loss. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm going to, all of my time is on, on YouTube. Uh, I do have my email address. So if you want to talk about things, you want to share uh, issues or anything else or suggestions, and that's coldwarprepper at outlook.com. Uh, be happy to talk to you there and, uh, you know, whatever I can do at outlook.com. Right. I just put it in the, and for the record, your, I, I put your YouTube channel in the live stream. So we're on about seven different platforms right now. And then this will go in an audio format in the podcast form as well tomorrow. So it'll also, so your, your YouTube channel will be in there. So if anybody's listening you want to make sure you subscribe to Lee, um, grab that link oh, there are so much i can learn from you as far as uh you know the technical side here especially uh, since you said you do everything on your iphone i well this this is on the computer but yes everything i do a ton of tour view videos and that sort of thing and they're all done for my iphone oh and, God. But yeah oh man anything i i'm a huge i'm up to here with envy uh, no it, it's all uh you learn you know on failures right but i'm a huge fan of a rising tide floats all boats and I don't look at any other content creator as competition. I look at us all as if we all work together, we all help everybody and everybody's audience grows. So, so here's my philosophy. We all need to know a little bit about a lot and right. a lot about a little. Yes. I and agree. so what I know a lot about may be different than what you know a lot about. Yes. Which may be different than what somebody else knows a lot about. But what we need to do is get all those people together into one community so that we have experts, but we also have people who have enough understanding that they can assist the expert in fulfilling their function. Absolutely. If, if I, that makes sense. Yes. And that's exactly what I, yeah. I, I like you said, um, I'll, I'll never claim to know everything. And if, if I meet somebody who thinks they know everything, I don't give them the time of day. Because what I like is to surround myself with people that I can ask questions when somebody comes to me and says, like the other day, Hey, Tim, I'd like to buy a lathe for my husband for Christmas. And I say, I don't know the first sweet thing about lathes, but I know people who do and I can find out. For right. You. Right. Absolutely. No, this, this was a great chat. Thank you, Lee. And like I said, I would love, I, I could pick your brain about a thousand things, but, uh, well, if, if you're up for it, we'll have you back in the in the no, new year. Sure. And, and at some point, I'm going to put out a, a a video on how to create codes and ciphers, so that exactly. after a after a post uh, apocalyptic event, you can communicate with other people in your group without other people knowing what you're doing. So, I love it. I would that would be cool. I would yeah. I mean, you could come on and even talk about that. Oh, I could pick your brain for yeah. It would be fun. I would really appreciate that. And I'm going to have you on mine. Absolutely, sir. I, I want to expose you to the people who follow me. You're fantastic. Thank you. No worries. If you want to hang for a second in the background, I'll close sure. up the show. And, okay, perfect. Thanks, Lee. Well, guys, you know, you never know what you're in for. I mean, I, I'm always excited to talk to new people, but it's great to meet a kindred spirit when you meet somebody like Lee who has, you know, a little more life experience, but has that just 
is into the things you're into and is an expert on so many things. So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, because I know I love talking to Lee and we will have him back. So once more, thanks to Lee for coming on. And guys, I appreciate you. You know, you can come and hang out. You, you've only got 24 hours in the day. And for some reason you choose to come and hang out with me for an hour and a half, two or three times a week. So thank you. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.